Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to another episode of the ISO on SB Live Sports with myself, your host, Dan Dickow. On the Believe Podcast Network, we always try to strive to bring unique conversations in the world of sports, usually it's a coach, it's a player, it's an executive. Today's is very unique, and it's unique uh, for a number of reasons. He carved his own path in the world of basketball, and he's made a tremendous career for himself. He's had an amazing amount of success. Somebody that luckily I was able to meet about 20 years ago, and, and from a distance I followed his path, and it's been nice to, to follow him on social media, and it's been nice to, to, to organize and schedule this conversation. Uh, none other than, you guys know him as the professor. I know him as Grayson. Grayson Boucher, originally from the Portland area, just outside Salem, Oregon, actually, Kaiser. Grayson, the professor, thanks for joining. Glad to have you a part. How is life for you today? Yeah, humble, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, things are great, man. Things are great. Uh, I mean, considering all circumstances, <laughs> right? Nobody likes COVID and all this stuff, but, um, no, as far as, uh, business wise, it's still pretty solid. Um, despite everything going on, but, uh, it's great. No complaints, you know? Yeah. You, you mentioned things are going great and business wise, everything is going really well. I always look at the, what you have done in, carving a new path in the world of sports, professional sports, and in particular basketball as being very unique, being very innovative. It's not the norm, but you've done a tremendous job. And I tip my cap to you because there are some people that, you know, want to discredit some of the things that maybe you have tried or have done. And I, for my own personal opinion, you know, it's not the path that I chose you chose that path and you've knocked it out of the park. You've hit a grand slam. You, you, you've, uh, you, you've had a triple double. You've done an amazing job. Take us back real quick to the decision. And, and we'll talk about your high school and your youth basketball in a minute, but talk about the opportunity that you had that was presented to you by Ann one. And you had to make a quick decision. I'm sure. Do I stay on the normal basketball path? Or do I try to create something new? What was that like? It was, <clears throat> first off, it was very surreal because 
for the years prior uh, to having that choice to make, I was a big fan of Van One. So I like, I, I was always obviously an NBA fan. You know, grew up a Michael Jordan fan. I love Allen Iverson. I watched your whole run. So like conventional basketball, I was a huge fan of, but I'm not gonna lie, like when it started to get closer to like the early 2000s, like I was as much of an and one fan as I was the NBA, if not a little bit more. So going through that whole uh, meet my idols, you know, when your idols become your rivals thing, you know, cause I'm playing against them the whole summer in this like reality show and then getting that opportunity to be their teammates. It was very surreal. And then, yeah, it was kind of hard to, uh, think big picture or know what the big picture looked like, you know, was it stay at college, stay at community college or do this thing with Anwen. But I will say at the time, I didn't think, I thought Anwen was forever. You know what I mean? And that was kind of like my young viewpoint. But then on the flip side, it's like the Globetrotters were forever too. And at that time we, we had considered ourselves like a form of that. So um, yeah, it was a little bit difficult, but my parents supported my decision. It was a no brainer for me. I was like playing three minutes a game at community college if the game was close I didn't even go in the game so at the time it was kind of like a no-brainer but it was also a little like dang like do I not ever play college again like how does this work you know yeah that's because uh, I know we have a little bit of a pass where um, you know I knew a lot of people in the Portland area and that extended down south into Salem and and I I had met you down at, at the Salem hoop a number of times when I would go down there to work out with different people um, so let's take a step back. Your upbringing in the game of basketball, what was your driving passion? What, what did you like to work on? What did you do? And then what was your high school career like before then you spent that one year at Chemeketa Community College in Salem before your big break, your big opportunity came? Uh, for me, it's like, like ball is life, you know? <laughs> it's funny when that, when that company came out, ball is life, it's funny because I remember I used to say that when I was younger, like, you know, my whole family was dedicated to feeding me and my brother's passion of just playing ball, you know, whether it was putting us in clinics, camps, got us a personal trainer. We were in fourth grade, uh, you know, AAU year round. I'm going to the gym or not in my driveway 24 seven. My parents, they, it's now, nowadays parents ask me like, how much does my son need to be practicing to, to be like you or to, to play pro? <clears throat> and it's funny. Cause I always tell them like, your kid, if he's probably on that path, you'll probably be trying to figure out how you can get him not to be playing so much because too much. And so that was, that was me, you know what I mean? As far as what I worked on, I was always a fan of smaller guards, especially like early on, like Rod Strickland, Tim Hardaway, and then later Allen Iverson. Um, just because those are the guys I could relate to. I was always not even a small guard. I was a tiny guard. You know, I was my freshman high school roster. I think I was uh, 4'11", 85 pounds. So I didn't even hit, I never really hit a growth spur. You know, by the time I graduated, I was like 5'8", 135 pounds or something like that. So, um, so yeah, emphasis of ball handling, but shooting, floater, mid-range floaters was always my thing. I never was big enough to shoulder guys all the way to the basket. That wasn't part of my game. Still isn't, so. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, the, you kind of touched on the love and the passion of the game, and that's something that, you know, I try to instill when I run workouts in the Spokane area for kids and where I travel to different places and talk, you have to have a love for the game. Yeah. Um, you have to have a love for the game. You have to have what I feel is a reverence for the game or a knowledge of the game for the guys that came before you. 
you mm. mentioned a couple guys that I loved watching. Mm. Rod Strickland, Tim Hardaway, and then a guy that I had to guard and I had no chance in Allen Iverson. Break those guys' game down really quickly. And when you were growing up, because I get this question a lot, hey, what move do I need to be working on? You probably took those moves that you saw on video and then would try to replicate them over and over again in the driveway. Break those guys' game down and what you took from each of them to create your own style. Yeah, 100%. Uh, first off, you know, Tim Hardaway and Allen Iverson, the, that crossover, you know, I think when I was in fourth or fifth grade, one of the, the first or second moves that my trainer had shown me was like the Allen Iverson crossover. And uh, it was crazy. I, like, I, I feel like literally I'm walking in my purpose playing like an entertaining style of basketball to entertain people because I literally had memorized, or excuse me, I mastered that crossover like a week or two. And now mind you, that is like, a ridiculous amount of hours per day dedicated to the game. And like you said, doing it over and over and over. Um, but Alan, I, you know, <clears throat> or excuse me, let's go back. Starting with Rod Strickland. What I liked about him was that uh, I think I was drawn to the fact he was a scoring guard. And I think I, I don't know. I was always a, a scoring point guard, which I don't know if that was best, you know, in the, in the conventional scheme of things, but I like that. He was an amazing finisher at the basket. And then, I remember him always just like being really crafty with whatever defense was thrown at him. Like he, he had a great like spin game. Um, he was really quick. He could always play, create just nonstop driving to the basket. So that was what drew me to him. And then um, Tim Hardaway's killer crossover. I was really captivated by, there was those tapes, those VHS tapes back in the day. It was like the NBA jam session. And I remember I watched those like religiously and, and the segment that's on his killer crossover was just like mind blowing to me. I was like, I have to memorize, I have to master this move right here. And then later with AI, I think it's ever, you know, fan favorite, everybody's uh, guy, you know, the, that, that killer crossover, when that became legal, you know what I mean? Like, like putting your hand on the side of the ball, I think that opened up a whole new dimension of the game. You know, that's, I love hearing you describe Rod Strickland um, and his ability to finish and his craftiness I think he's one of the point guards kind of in that, you know, early 90s stretch that doesn't get the amount of recognition that maybe he deserves. And yeah. unfortunately, so many people will say, and don't take this the wrong way, Grayson, because you didn't play in the NBA or didn't, didn't take a, a traditional route, your yeah. opinion doesn't matter. But the fact that the way you describe the fact that he can finish – he was crafty and he could understand what a defense was trying to take away shows to me that, you know what, you understood the game and you, you, you learned the game and you worked on the game to, to have an impact on your career and watching him is, is absolutely impressive. And I love to hear that. And at some point, at some point, hopefully I have Rod Strickland on this, this ISO podcast and I am going to file that note away. And I, and I took notes here. I'm going to file that note away and I'm going to make that, make that comment to him because um, that shows to me that you're a student of the game. You love the game. You watched it more than just a typical person's viewpoint. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. Lived it. Lived it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you were from the Northwest and the Portland area, the point guard stretch went like this and correct me if I'm wrong. It went Terry Porter, Rod Strickland, Damon Stoudemire. Yeah. And then there was a long stretch before Damian Lillard has really brought back the Portland Trailblazer point guard position to a, to a position of respectability, I guess you could say. 
Totally. Yeah, he's really raised the bar. But you're right. David Stoudemire, another guy who I watched a lot. Like, yeah, there's some beast point guards over the years. Absolutely. Now, you you shared a little bit about your high school career, your growth, you know, stretches as a, as a young player. I was never a big player myself. You played one year at community college. You, you didn't play a lot of minutes. And, and for the fact of the matter is a lot of guys are in the same boat. You know, they, they maybe don't have a growth spurt or, or maybe they, they just haven't hit their peak as a player yet. Um, but they're in college. They're waiting for their opportunity. They're waiting for a chance. And that maybe that chance leads to an opportunity the next season to then get to the next level. Your opportunity and your work led you to be ready when the N1 mixtape tour came to Portland. Yeah. Walk us through what the N1 mixtape tour was at the time, because I think a lot of people don't realize there was about a three, four, four year stretch that the N1 mixtape tour, when you're talking about summer basketball, it was it. I mean, the NBA summer league wasn't huge yet. Uh, the uh, um, the big three uh, wasn't what it was. It was the N1 mixtape tour making a tour all across the country. Yeah, totally. So <clears throat> coming into uh, after 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 I graduated uh, high school, I had like a good year. I, I remember I got second team all state, and I was like one vote away from MVP of the league. But mind you, I didn't have perspective of like levels. Right, I'm, I'm playing two A basketball. I think there's only 300 kids in my entire school at the time. My graduating class was less than 50 kids. So my school, like a school like that, doesn't get any college looks. So I'm thinking I was going to get some offers. I had none. I ended up going to try out for, I think, three JUCO, three community colleges. Nobody was interested. And then finally, my dad looked politics a little bit with the coach at Chemeketa because he was buying jewelry from him. My dad, my dad owns a jewelry store. And he kind of <laughs> talked him into giving me a shot. So the dude actually gave me a shot. And granted, I did get a little bit better for my senior year, you know, that spring, summer. And uh, he was like, cool. He's like, I think you can play at this level. He just needs to get a little stronger. So he agreed to let me redshirt. And then a couple guards got injured before the season started. So next thing I know, I was in the rotation. But <clears throat> it was just to fill a roster spot. You know, if, if the game was close, I didn't even get a shot. And I always had offensive skills. But it was interesting because I was always playing in these systems that were very, like, Hoosiers. You know what I mean? Like, I was no like if I go play pickup anywhere in my hometown, like I always would wow the crowd and my team would stay on the court. And like I was known as like this really prominent player. But then when it came to season time, I was under these systems where it's very four man and very high low and very like systematic. And they would look at like if I did an Iverson crossover, it don't matter. I could have done that move. Dude could fall down, break his ankles. I could hit the shot. It would still be looked at as a bad thing. And so I was I never really quite understood that. But <clears throat> basically they saw I had offensive skills and say, Hey, you need to get a little stronger, ended up playing. And then after my freshman year of college, a lot of the guys I was playing with were going division one and division two. And uh, I'm just a late bloomer. You know what I mean? I kind of just, it kind of just clicked after that year and I improved by like 300%. Finally got in the weight room, uh, finally got a little more confident. You know, I realized like my offensive skills were no different than this guy that was going division one. It was just that, uh, you know, he's had a better high school and year one of college run than I have, and he plays way better defense. He's bigger, stronger, more physical. And so once I got a little bit more physical and realized where my offensive skills were actually at, uh, being assessed by more elite college coaches, you know what I mean? It's not the systematic Hoosiers basketball I was used to. 
had a whole new mind frame for the game. So I literally improved like 300%. And then, and one comes with a tryout randomly. And I'm, I go up there as a fan, you know, I knew they were gonna have a little tryout, but I was just doing it for the fun of it. I was like, hey, I'll play the and one guys tonight if I make it. If not, cool. You know what I mean? I'll get to watch hot sauce and AO and them, it'd be fun. And next thing I know, it was like a career opportunity was presented. So it's interesting how it went down. That's, see, I didn't realize that. And I didn't know that you kind of just went up there to watch it as a fan and then the opportunity presented itself. But what would the typical basketball fan not realize about the guys that you just mentioned, AO and Hot Sauce? A lot of them might recognize the name Skip to My Lou, Rafer Alston, who went from a, the initial An One Mixtape tour or the video and to carving an eight, 10 year NBA career, who I quite frankly found is one of the, the most difficult matchups that I ever had. What would the typical fan not understand about how good these guys are? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even at the time with all the hype, uh, there was divided opinion on what the skill level was of those guys for sure. But that's one of the things I took away because I never knew what it was either. I knew I liked it and I liked the swag of the game and whatever the skill level was, it wasn't as relevant to me as a kid. But, uh, but it was interesting once I'm playing against those guys, I realized like, this is a high level of basketball, you know, like a guy like AO had a workout with some NBA teams. Um, certain guys probably had NBA talent, but they didn't fit the mold just because, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't go to that college or they were a tweener. You know what I mean? It's like, this guy doesn't really have a position in the NBA. Um, there was, so there was a lot of reasons that guys didn't make it at the highest level, but it was a high level play. You know, I would say, and one, especially in those first, you know, prime years, that was like a division two, division one pro level game. If I, if I, if I was to put the levels at even a guy like hot sauce who had a very unconventional game, you know, illegal moves were hot at the time. Even hot sauce though, you know, he was going against pro players, making them look silly, but it was because a lot of people weren't accustomed to that style of play. It was kind of brand new, you know, and one brought the street, the street ball style of New York, DC, Philly, and brought that and kind of like put it on the, the global map. So, it was brand new to a lot of people, but it was definitely a lot higher level of basketball than people uh, would give it credit for, I think, on a mass level. You mentioned the inner city basketball style of a D.C. of a Philly. You're from the Pacific Northwest. I, I was from just outside the Portland area. You're from even more rural, just outside of, of Salem. Country. Now, yeah, <laughs> country. Yeah, I guess, you, you know, knowing the Northwest as I know it, yes, that's fair to say. Yeah. that's the beautiful thing about the about sports and in basketball in particular you don't see black white you 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 just see basketball player mm-hmm. you were and I don't want to get political and I don't want to talk about you know some of the different things that are going on in the country right now um, but those guys from when I watched those episodes and when I saw what happened they accepted you as a basketball player as a basketball player not Grayson Boucher, let's give him the nickname Professor. He's from some small town in Oregon. They accepted you as a basketball player. What kind of message can that share to people in the sports world and as well, you know, to anybody listening to this that might not be a huge sports fan? Um, yeah, it was – you hit it right on, though. I never really experienced any racial any, – any real racial tension in that whole process. Everybody welcomed me. But I think what was cool is like 
we had basketball in common. So I think the, the non-sports person could say what they could take away from that was that we shared a common bond in basketball and that kind of like brought us together, you know? And so for me, respect was earned through that very first summer because 30, 30 plus games I'm playing on the opposing team against them night in, night out. And so I think they ended up respecting my game like over time. And yeah, so, so I think it was interesting. We kind of saw eye to eye or developed friendship through the game. You developed a friendship with those guys and then you eventually go on tour. Um, and then the N1 mixtape tour, the company that ends up dissolving, but your opportunity to kind of grow a platform, grow a reputation, build a brand, uh, gave you the ability to see the world and how many countries have you been to through the game of basketball? Because, you know, similar to the last question I asked, you know, basketball and sports can be such a common denominator, but if you can go see the world through the, the, if you see the world through a sport, you can see the world as kind of a big thing that can work together. Yeah, I think there's a lot of perspective takeaway seeing it for, through a global lens, you know what I mean? Um, like you said, through a sport or even just seeing life, just seeing all different cultures all over the world. But no, I was blessed to, I think to date, I've been to like 45 countries. Wow. Like so um, yeah, seeing a lot of cultures all over the world, experienced a lot of cool places. Definitely a, a blessing for sure. So 45 countries. I'm sure you've had some hiccups in your travels as I have when I've gone across uh, the ocean to play. Is there any experiences or memories that jump out at you and you're like, wow, that was amazing. Oh man, gosh, I'm trying to think like where to start. I think, uh, you know, my, my first I guess the, the, the welcome that we got from the N1 Mixtape Tour when we first went global, that stands out to me a lot. So first time we went overseas, we, we, the first game we played was in Paris. This was later that year, 2003. I think we were playing in an arena that sat 8,000 people or something, but I think there was like 12 or 13,000 people in that arena uh, past whatever the fire uh, you know law was. But... Um, yeah, the incredible welcome experience that we got from people internationally was incredible. I remember then that next year we go to Asia for the first time. Uh, Tokyo, Japan was the first game, and it was nuts. Like, I've never – some of the crowd energy from the A1 Mixtape Tour, I've actually never seen any basketball sporting event ever since then just because the hype of that time was so nuts. Like, I remember in Tokyo and even uh, other places like – I would do stuff that wasn't even relevant to shaking my opponent and they would be losing their minds. Like <laughs> I remember I could just do moves coming up the court with no defender and they're like losing their crap. You know what I mean? So I, that was incredible. But then also seeing like Tokyo, Japan, biggest city in the world. I've never seen anything like that. You know, it's like New York on steroids. That was crazy. Um, if I think of things off the court, gosh, you know, uh, so many tours we took in different places, you know, Dubai was incredible. Some of the architecture in Dubai, um, some of the beaches and some of the tropical places we went to, uh, places in Central America really stand out to me as beautiful spots. 
uh, Australia. I've been to Australia like 20 some 20 plus times. Been to Australia 20 times. That's yeah. wow. That we, is, uh, I mean, yeah. the, the game of basketball sounds like it's been great to you. It's given you opportunities to meet people, to, to have experiences, to share your love for the game. In kind of talking about Asia and, and China as you did, I had a chance to play there twice. Uh, okay. I represented USA basketball in the 2001 World University Games. Um, and it was amazing to see 2001 China. And then I went back in 2008 with the mm. Golden State Warriors for training camp for, I think we had two preseason games there. Unfortunately, I, I didn't make the team, but I still had a chance to see the difference in Asia from 01 to 08. The, wow. the, the, the advances in technology um, was amazing. But the biggest thing was the love for the game in 01 was beginning to grow. The love for the game of basketball in 08 was beyond the charts. It was something I couldn't imagine. And I was with the Golden State Warriors, and I think we were playing in the Milwaukee Bucks. We didn't have Kobe Bryant. We didn't have Tracy McGrady, any of these major superstars at the time. But they still loved the game, and they were there. for. They were outside the bus before shoot-around, outside the hotels. It, it was a sight to behold, and it was something I will never forget. Um, and to hear some of your experiences in, in seeing the things that you've done through your love of the game and your experience in the game and your, your skill of the game has been awesome to hear. Have there been any professional players that you've come across that have been like, hey, you know what? I took that move from you or I saw you did that on the N1 mixtape tour. I love your game. A lot of a lot of NBA players, uh, especially today, like they'll show respect. Uh, a couple guys talk about moves. I, I had good combos with Jamal Crawford, uh, Jeremy Lin. I actually ran Jeremy Lin through a workout a few years ago. Um, who else? Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving was following me like when he was in college, like on social. So that was cool. I met him. I uh, just had a brief little combo. Uh, Russell Westbrook. Yeah, so a lot of guys, a lot of guys usually the combo will just be like, hey, you know, respect. I've been watching you for a long time. Like when I met D Wade, he was like, I feel like I know you. You know what I mean? I've been watching N one for a long time. So that was really humbling, you know, especially for me. You know, it's actually sort of surreal because years prior, like even even when I first got on the N one, you know, I was still trying to play conventionally. I played in the IBL, USBL, oh, the CBA, you know, the old old G League back in the day. And it's like trying to make it to that elite level is like impossible. You know, the politics of street ball, me being uh, small, it was just, it was, it was a difficult trek. So to see even uh, NBA players and even Hall of Fame, you know, I talked to Isaiah Thomas and wow. Isaiah Thomas was like, man, you're a legend, man. I was like, what? Like, you know, <laughs> that tripped me out because, uh, you know, things come full circle and I guess, you, you, you don't think things would ever get to that point, especially if you're coming from my position. So a lot of that's been really humbling. It's, it's really cool. Well, that's awesome to hear. I mean, Jamal's been a guest uh, on my podcast before. Hmm. His handle might be as good as anybody in the history of the NBA. My I favorite player of all time, Pete Maravich. Oh, but the, yeah. two, the two, two other guys you named in addition to Jamal might be up in that conversation. Kyrie Irving and Isaiah Thomas. 
Yeah. When you watch NBA basketball right now, who has the best handles and or creativity that makes you sit back and be like, I want to watch them? Mm. Yeah, I think you said it. Kyrie Irving, uh, for sure. I think uh, it's as hard as like Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, Chris Paul. It's always hard to say like who's the best. I think Kyrie Irving gets the gets the uh, the title of the best handles in the NBA for sure. But yeah, that guy's creativity and versatility or uh, his uh, move bag is nuts. You know. So on a day to day, you post some things on social media, whether it's Twitter, YouTube, uh, Instagram. What fills your day now? Is it highlight videos of things you're you're working on now things you've done in the past uh instructional videos how does how, how do you impact the game at this current time yeah so day in that day out it's really a, it's really about content at the core of everything um with the way youtube is your channel is going to slow down if you're not uploading at the very minimum once a week so that's kind of a hustle to always stay ahead you know what i mean and even like right now the current moment I'm not ahead, right? Like, as soon as I make a video, it's going up because I'm not, like, four or five videos ahead, which ideally you want to be. But that's really, it's really a grind. Um, a lot of people think, like, with the YouTube, you just get to do fun stuff and record it and throw it up, and it's like that. But it's actually uh, – it is fun, don't get me wrong. It's a blessing to do what I do, but it's definitely, like, hard work. So my day is consumed with a lot of video stuff and then, like, uh, campaigns. You know, companies will pay me, like, flat rate, like, hey – we want one YouTube video, three IG posts, a couple tweets, stuff like that. Um, and then, like you said, with the training, I'm, I'm actually starting up my online training uh, subscription-based stuff in the next, like, month or two. So I've been working a lot on that. And then uh, a couple film projects and different things. So I, so I guess it ranges, but at the core of everything, what keeps my stuff moving is the content. Yeah, content is king right now in, in yeah any media platform, whether it's what SB Live Sports does on the high school level um, in a number of different markets, whether it's what you do. When I kind of did some research before we had our conversation, and, and I know, you know, we've known each other on a kind of surface level for a number of years, I learned something that I didn't know. And I want to hear the, the, I want to hear the honest truth from you. Sure. You were an actor in the movie Semi-Pro. Yeah. Am I right in, in saying that? Yeah. It's funny. I don't even know where you found that info up, but yeah. <laughs> well, at SB Live, I've kind of learned to dig a little deeper and figure out, you know, good question to ask uh, some of our guests. I had a run-in with Will Ferrell years ago when I was in the NBA in, in trying to uh, get him to, to share some information with me. You were in the movie Semi-Pro with Will Ferrell. How good of a basketball player is Will Ferrell? And were you at the premiere? Because I was there in L.A. that day. Oh, wow. Uh, I was not at the premiere, no. I, I was like a little bit more than an extra, but not much more. You know, I was on set, I think, like 12 or 13 days. Um, but you can see my character. Like, I get a lot of screen time. You just don't know. You wouldn't know it's me because I had a 70s wig on. And it's funny. It looks real. Like, a lot of people thought it was my real hair when I was showing pictures. But uh, I was in the game. I played for the Spurs. And then we played 
think we played them, the main team twice in a movie, and I actually boxed Will Ferrell out on that game-winning free throw. A lot of people don't know. I, like, I like boxed him out. I hit a couple threes in that game. But uh, Will Ferrell, you know, we didn't really, like, play-play, so it would be hard for me to, to say, but I would guess definitely a uh, recreational player. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> to what level would be hard to say. No, no shade toward him. So uh, I, I, I guess I can't ask you for a true – uh, scouting report on Will Ferrell. I guess the last question I have for you then is give me the scouting report or what's in the future for the professor, Grayson Boucher, because uh, again, I know we, we, we got to know each other 20 years or so ago. I followed you from a distance and to see what you've done with the game of basketball to create uh, a career I've been really impressed with. And, and I want to say thank you to that because it's been awesome because I do think there are, there are different lanes within every sport and every industry to take. You found your lane and you've gone a hundred percent. You've had a tremendous amount of success. What's next for you? Hey, that's humbling, man. Um, gosh, especially coming from you, somebody I watched your whole run. Um, what's next for me, man, you know, a lot of people ask that too. They're like, what's your long-term plan? You can't play ball forever. But the interesting part is that that doesn't mean YouTube shuts down. You know I mean? YouTube showed their tax return two years ago is trillion some dollars. So I don't think YouTube's going anywhere for the <laughs> next, uh, at least safe to say five to 10 years. So, and then hopefully even beyond, right? So I consider myself a social influencer and I think that that stays even if you don't play basketball so I would continue to try to grow social platforms um so I still see that being the core of everything I do but you mentioned semi-pro I moved to LA because I actually had to lead in this other movie so I've done acting off and on like last like 15 years too so I want to try to go more into that I was at a hobby uh for that and then I want to uh try to broaden that for the future but I think at the end of the day, I think it really stays like being an influencer. And I think that content has to become more lifestyle. Uh, it probably always had to be centered in basketball to a degree. So maybe it's just talking about the game or being more like a digital analyst, you know, whether that's podcast like we're doing today or some form of, of uh, something to do with the game. But yeah, I mean, that's what I forecast for the future. I think uh, doing subscription-based training, I have high hopes for that. Hopefully that goes really well. I had done that a little bit in 2015 and it was awesome, but I broke partnership with somebody I was doing that with for reasons I'd rather not speak on. But um, yeah, I think the core, I think the core is still content in the future. That's what I foresee. Well, Grayson, I appreciate you um, joining myself on the, the ISO podcast. It's been great to hear a little bit more about your story because I've, I've known a lot of it, but some of the other kind of uh, bits and pieces and the stories that you've shared and the experiences and the things you've learned have been tremendous. Uh, maybe we can have you on again at some point. I wish you nothing but the best of luck in, in your future endeavors. And uh, Scorebook Live, SB Live Sports, uh, we'll definitely be following you. So thank you very much for joining us. Hey, I'd love to come on again in the future. So thank you so much for having me on. And it means a lot. You're somebody that I watched your whole career run and we even shared a mutual trainer. So thanks again, man. Appreciate that. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.